Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to the latest edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Along with my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric and I, we both hopped on the scales much darkly about how much stronger gravity is these days. Hopped off the scales again, <laughs> deployed towels to protect our modesty, hopped on and off the scales again, tucked into a hearty meal and said, ah, sod it, and decided to focus instead on how Eris Landy Lara and Brian Castaño look on the scales. <laughs> I don't believe I said the words sod it exactly. Those, that's not part of my uh, phraseology that I use in everyday life. But uh, but just like Brian Castaño, I am wearing my tidy whities uh, ready ready to podcast. That was a unique look. Uh, you don't you don't see the old school tidy whities. It's all it's usually right. some sort of colored boxer briefs. Right. Uh, but yeah, he he went old school there. Uh, I guess uh, when you're in shape like that, you're a little less worried about uh, about hiding things uh, than than some of us would be. My dad would be so proud if he knew this direction <laughs> my career had got into. I thought I thought you were going to tie that into your dad being a tidy whities guy. No, but, uh, no, no, no. Okay, let's move uh, on. Yeah, let's. Uh, so, uh, yes, today on this special post-weigh-in edition of the podcast, we will, of course, make our observations uh, from watching those gentlemen step on the scale. Uh, we will also make our picks for the fights uh, on Showtime tomorrow, uh, Saturday night, I should say. And we'll also tell you about a new Showtime Picks competition that's not just for us, but it's also for you. And as well, we will break down some of this week's news in the boxing world. But first, there's some news about Saturday's card uh, that broke after our mon Monday podcast when I said uh, it was going to be just a doubleheader. I lied, Eric. I lied. <laughs> a new opening fight has been added to the show. Indeed. The uh, triple header that became a doubleheader uh, that is now again a triple header. The triple header was originally supposed to open with Edner Cherry versus Ricardo Nunez at 130 pounds, but Cherry had to withdraw due to a medical issue. Nice and vague with the explanation there. Uh, there was talk initially of finding a new opponent for Nunez. Uh, they couldn't find one. That's why we thought we just had a doubleheader, but instead... We're going to the 126-pound division with Eduardo Ramirez of Los Mochis, Mexico, taking on Brian de Gracia of Panama in a battle of contenders with one loss on their records. Neither of these fighters are terribly familiar to American audiences. Uh, so, Kieran, give me the 30-second or so bio-sketch slash scouting report on Eduardo Ramirez. So Ramirez is the uh, archetypal tricky Southpaw. Is there really any other kind of Southpaw? I, th <laughs> I think the Southpaw's union almost requires the addition of that adjective uh, uh, most of the time. Uh, his record is 21-1-3, and three, just eight stoppages. Uh, he's won one and one in his last three bouts. Uh, to be fair, though, the defeat was against pretty solid opposition in the form of then featherweight titleist Lee Selby in December 2017. Uh, Ramirez didn't do himself any favors in that contest. Uh, he failed to make weight. Uh, he didn't show up for the final press conference. And the, the general thought was that well, he didn't seem terribly interested. But he did uh, He did put a solid effort in, uh, in that fight, despite falling uh, to a unanimous decision loss. Um, he's been highly inactive since then. 
Uh, just one first round stoppage win in November, his only action uh, since losing to Selby. So that's the story on Ramirez. Uh, Eric, uh, tell me a little something about De Gracia. Uh, before I do, I'll note that uh, I just got a text from the Southpaw Union. Uh, they're telling ah. me the preferred nomenclature is Slick Southpaw. That's, slick Southpaw. That's their first choice. Tricky Southpaw, also acceptable, they're telling okay. me. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. I would not want to fall foul of the Union. No. I am a, a southpaw, of course. So I'm, I'm I'm in the union. I have the connections. Oh, okay. I am neither tricky nor slick, but I am a southpaw. Um, so uh, DeGracia is uh, 25 years old. This is his U.S. debut. He is known as La Roca, which I didn't even have to look this one up. It means the Rock, uh, which I think he's the first person ever to call himself that. Pretty sure he is. Pretty sure he came <laughs> Pretty up. Pretty sure. That. Yeah. Pretty sure. Finally, he's back in Brooklyn. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, he's the less tested fighter in this matchup. He's never faced an opponent close to the championship level. He's fairly raw and rigid in his movements, uh, but he can punch. He's the puncher here. Ramirez is the boxer. DeGracia is the puncher. He has 20 knockouts among his 24 wins, including seven KOs in his last eight fights. But the only one of those eight results that wasn't a KO win was in fact a loss on points narrowly to Jorge Sanchez a little less than two years ago. Um, interestingly, uh, DeGracia is a puncher. He has a great KO rate, but through 26 pro fights, not a single first round knockout on his record. Mm. Kind of an oddity for a KO artist there. Mm, indeed. Um, so those two were the first of the six fighters taking part on Saturday's card to weigh in on Friday. And I mentioned that Ramirez was overweight for the biggest fight of his career so far against Lee Selby, and he was overweight again on Friday, uh, only just, but nonetheless uh, a smidgen over, uh, weighing in at 127 pounds. He did have two hours to get down to 126. I should point out that we are recording it, this podcast, in that window. Mm. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and assume, I think, that he's made it down to 126 by the time you all hear this. Uh De Gracia was a very lean and ready, 124 and three quarters. It certainly looks as if he is well and truly up for this, Eric. Yeah, uh, De Gracia looked looked in great shape and made it easily, but Ramirez is the story here, and uh, you may have noticed they put the towel up before he even got on the scale. Yeah. <laughs> they knew it was going to be close, or it was going to be a problem. Uh, and uh, as you pointed out, he also missed weight against Selby, so that's a little bit troubling, but one pound, two hours... Like you, I feel fairly comfortable assuming that he'll make it, or at the very least, that the fight will go forward, even if he's ineligible for whatever belt is at stake here. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that stood out to me from these two weighing in was uh, Ramirez's extremely creepy stare-down eyes. He gave he gave a, a good, creepy, skeleton-like glare uh, to DeGracia. There you go. That's, that's the kind of analysis. <laughs> you won't find that anywhere else. <laughs> Anywhere else, I tell you. Uh, in the heavyweight co-main event, uh, Luis Ortiz weighed in at 238 and three quarters and Christian Hammer at 257 and a half. And uh, both those weights are pretty much in line with what these two guys traditionally weigh. Uh, Ortiz actually, if anything, a couple of pounds lighter than for his last few fights. He's been around 241 uh, for his last three fights, I think, including his fight with Deontay Wilder. So so he's uh, looking pretty trim and hammer right in the sort of average there of what he normally weighs. Yeah, I was kind of surprised looking at Ortiz's record going fight by fight through it to notice how consistent he is. That, yeah. You know, usually when you get a guy up in the, that 240 range, they'll fluctuate by a few pounds every fight. He's almost always 241 or 242, but indeed 238 and three quarters here. So I don't know if he trained a little harder, uh, trained to have a little more endurance. 
uh, or if it's just a, a weird fluky thing where the timing of his meals was a little bit right. off or something. But uh, one thing that stood out to me watching these two do their little stare down was uh, just that Christian Hammer has the much bigger head. Again, getting observations you won't get anywhere else, but he really has a giant head. It, it started higher than Ortiz's, but ended lower than Ortiz's. Uh, so large, large target there for Ortiz to aim at. But then also uh, I noticed a, a very respectful fist bump after the stare down between the two fighters. So good sportsmanship on display. Ortiz is like that a lot, I've noticed. He's he's a, he, he's not a mean guy. I think hmm. he's, he's pretty respectful to, to his opponents and to folks uh, um, in the business so uh the main event can't wait to see what observations we have for this one um <laughs> i already used up my good one about the tidy whities i have very little left don't get your hopes up okay all right uh, both guys super professional comfortably on weight for this super welterweight showdown brian castanio right on 154 pounds eris landy lara 153 and one half yeah, I'll just point out that more good sportsmanship on display. These guys had a very intense stare down, uh, but following that, just a nice respectful handshake between Castaño and Lara. So uh, no no real fireworks at this weigh-in other than one fighter missing weight by a pound was about the only drama we got. Yep, indeed. All right, uh, we are about to make our predictions for the fights. Uh, but first, we have some very fun news to announce. Showtime has partnered with DraftKings for the Showtime Boxing Pick'em game. Just like how Kieran and I make our predictions for every Showtime Championship boxing fight, now you can do the same, starting with this Saturday's fight card. You go to DraftKings.com Showtime. It's free to enter. And for every card, there will be $5,000 in prize money, plus Showtime swag bags for the top five finishers. And the overall points leader for the year will win the grand prize, which is a trip to every Showtime Championship boxing event in 2020. Clearly, Kieran, uh, <laughs> DraftKings is much better at figuring out the stakes of their contest than we are. Right. Yes. Well, maybe they've had longer to think about it. Um, uh, you certainly look more familiar with this whole world of DraftKings and all this kind of stuff and making picks online than I am. It's really right in your wheelhouse. But I did check it out. It's super easy. Um, very easy interface. Just pick the winner. Pick the method of victory. You, if you pick a knockout, you've got a, a window of rounds to pick the knockout rather than the specific one. Uh, you don't have to pick unanimous or majority or split if you pick a decision. Uh, you don't have to come up with any half-assed reasoning the way that we do. Um, <laughs> it, it's, otherwise, it's quite like ours. There is an absurdly tough tiebreaker in the form of uh, guesstimating how many punches in total will be landed during each contest. Um, but it's well worth trying out. Uh, it really is nice and simple. So, you know what? I think you all should go right now, make your picks, then come back and listen to ours. We'll sit here and wait patiently. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're back already. Excellent. Right, well, we'll get on with our picks then. And uh, we'll start with Ramirez and DeGracia. And it's a bit of a stab in the dark, uh, at, at least for me, you know, given that I've seen so little of these guys. Um, DeGracia does feel as if he may be the higher ceiling talent. Um, and as you mentioned, he's certainly shown the higher KO percentage by some distance. But, you know, both men have faced plenty of underwhelming opposition. Ramirez has stepped it up on a couple of occasions. He's also been on the road more than DeGracia. Uh, he also does have a spoiling style that you wonder could frustrate the Panamanian. Look, that said... As we mentioned earlier, DeGracia looks in fighting trim. He seems to be the guy who is most amped 
and prepared for this. And so I'm going to pick him to just have the advantage in activity to be the guy who tries to make the fight more. I think it might be a bit ugly at times, a bit of a clash of styles, but I, I'm going to pick DeGracia to, to eke out a close but unanimous decision win here. Okay, well, there there will be some movement then uh, in one way or another in our competition, which currently stands uh, me in the lead, uh, 24 points to 19. We have different picks here. So either I'm going to widen my lead or you're going to narrow the gap. Um, I really find this clash of styles intriguing. Uh, and I think from what I've seen, these fighters are pretty evenly matched. But I subscribe to the old rule of thumb that more often than not, if matched closely, the boxer beats the puncher. Uh, there are always exceptions. Uh, occasionally, a Ricardo Mayorga comes along and beats a Vernon Forrest. Um, and Degrassi actually does have a tiny bit of Mayorga to him when you watch him fight. Um, his technique isn't quite as unusual as Mayorga's, uh, but his movements are, are definitely a little on the stiff side. Uh, Ramirez, meanwhile, can certainly box. No shame in losing on points to Lee Selby. He has the southpaw thing going for him. I do wonder about the extra effort to make weight whether that should give me a little bit of extra pause before picking him, but I'm going to go ahead and um, take him. I, I see him outmaneuvering DeGracia, avoiding getting hit by the lights out shot and winning a unanimous decision. All right. Okay. Next up is Luis Ortiz versus Christian Hammer. And I'm picking first. And to me, this is mostly just a matter of figuring out the round in which Ortiz yeah. stops Hammer. Uh, the thing is, Hammer is pretty tough. He went the distance with Alexander Povetkin. Uh, he went eight rounds with Tyson Fury. One of his stoppage losses was on a first-round shoulder injury. Uh, so it's not like he's someone who's easy to blast out of there. So a distance fight is possible. I'm not totally ruling it out, but I, I don't think it's the most likely scenario. Ortiz, certainly the best puncher that Hammer has ever faced. Hammer does not appear to me to be a Malik Scott type of stinker. Um, so I, I think... Ortiz will catch up with him and get him out of there, but it'll take a little time. I'm going with Ortiz KO seven. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm... I know what that chuckle means. I've heard yeah. that chuckle before. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yes. Look, uh, Hammer is pretty durable. Uh, as you mentioned, he did take Povetkin in the distance lasted reasonably well uh, against Tyson Fury. I agree with you that he's not going to hear the final bell here. I think part of the issue is I just don't think that he has much to trouble Ortiz with, to be honest. I don't, he's not a terrible fighter by any means, but uh, he's not in the class of somebody like Luis Ortiz. And I think that Ortiz, even though you've always got to be careful as a heavyweight boxer, he can focus pretty much on his offense and not have to worry a huge amount about what Hammer might be able to do to him. I think it's just really a question of how focused and determined Ortiz is from the off. He can sometimes get a little bored in contests uh, and, and his focus can shift a little bit. As long as it doesn't, uh, I think he'll keep the pressure on and gradually grind Hammer down. I'm very close to you, but I actually am going to give Ortiz a little bit more uh, uh, of credit to finish it. Just that smidgen earlier, I have Luis Ortiz winning this in the sixth round. Okay, and so that means on DraftKings, uh, we actually have uh, completely different picks because they're in separate windows there. It's, I believe, there you uh, go. four to six and seven to nine. So, there you go. Uh, both, of, both men enter on DraftKings, uh, only, one, only one man leaves, something like that. Sure, exactly. <laughs> uh, in the main event, Eris Landy Lara against Brian Castaño. Uh, look, as we mentioned in our podcast at the beginning of the week, Castaño can fight. 
Uh, he's a fun pressure fighter. He lets his hands go, particularly when he has, when he has his opponent in front of him. Um, I think that said, the question is, can he keep Lara in front of him? He does not have the size and probably not the strength of Jarrett Hurd, who was able to pull Lara into a brawl. Um, and Hurd, who is a big, strong guy and a legitimately talented fighter, the top of the division needed a 12th round knockdown to eke out a split decision win. Uh, I think Castagna is pretty good. I don't know that he's as good as Jarrett Hurd. An upset win is by no means off the table here, especially if that Hurd fight took something out of Lara. Mm -hmm. And especially given that Lara has at this stage, he's been around a while now and he has accrued a fair bit of mileage. And when you are that, kind of boxer who relies a lot on your footwork and your movement around the ring uh, once that starts to go a little bit you can suddenly become quite a bit more vulnerable all of that said i think although castanio should acquit himself well here and even though i wouldn't be massively surprised if he does uh, pull off the win i'm going i'm still gonna go with lara i still think he just has enough movement, enough guile, enough craftiness, enough class overall to secure what might be closer than most people might have thought um, going into this, but will nonetheless be, I think, a unanimous decision win. Okay, well-reasoned. Uh, I had a really tough time with this one. Um, when the fight was signed and I saw that it was Lara versus some guy I'm not familiar with, right? I groaned a little. I assumed yep. this would be a safe, easy comeback fight for Lara, but once I started watching some Castaño footage, I quickly realized that wasn't the case. He, he can fight. I look at it this way. Um, 100% Lara, prime Lara, the, the guy who dominated Austin Trout and, and fought on even terms with Canelo, he beats Castaño comfortably. Sure. 90% Lara wins, but it's close. And 80% Lara doesn't win. Uh, so this comes down to what Lara we're getting. You alluded to, to this based on the herd fight. You know, is he going to look 35 now? And did the herd fight take a toll on him? Or is he the same guy he's been for the last few years? Uh, and by the way, of, of all the elite Cuban amateurs who turned pro in the 2000s, basically I'm talking about the, the post-Casamayor generation, He's probably had the best pro career. I, I think I would put him above all of yeah. those guys, even even Rigando. Um, he's been really good for a long time now. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume until proven otherwise that Lara is still really good, that he's 90%-ish Lara, not 80%-ish Lara. And I think that that Lara beats Castaño, but it'll be tough and close and... Since it seems like you can always find at least one judge who doesn't huh. give Lara credit for what he's doing, I will create a little bit of a difference here in our picks by saying Lara by split decision. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, actually, I will just say that my opinion of this followed the same trajectory as you as well, from like the initial announcement through to actually bothering to find out about Castaño and then handicapping the fight. I'm, I find it quite an intriguing matchup now. Yeah, and and it gets extra complicated when you're trying to not just predict what will happen in the ring, but predict what the judges will think yeah. of what happened in the <laughs> yeah. ring. And that's really the only di reason my pick is different than yours is that I'm speculating at least one judge will be a little yeah. off. He is the anti-Canelo in that respect, Arislandi Lara. <laughs> Looking back, not a surprise that he lost heads yeah. up with Canelo. Indeed.
All right, we're going to finish up the podcast by running through some of the news that broke over the course of this week. And we start with a follow-up to our moderately depressing heavyweight conversation <laughs> from Monday, uh, in which we discussed Tyson Fury's defection to top rank and ESPN. It got slightly more depressing on Tuesday, though at least this time we weren't caught off guard. Uh, Fury announced he will not be fighting Wilder next. He'll fight someone else in May or June, and Wilder will hold on to the May 18th date against an opponent not named Tyson Fury. No surprise, really. It seemed likely that the Aram Fury plan involved additional building to a rematch, if the rematch is indeed going to happen at all. Any guesses as to who the interim opponents will be and any other analysis to add to this situation? Well, one thing that I thought was interesting and I think is notable is that Fury and his UK promoter Frank Warren have been quite talkative as they come up with various explanations and justifications for all of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think clearly the brunt of the dissatisfaction that has been expressed by those who wanted to see the Wilder rematch next has been directed their way. Obviously, they're the ones who've made the decision that has changed the 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 whole landscape here and it, it seems like they're feeling the need to justify it a little bit but they have been across purposes a little bit uh fury said there was no point in being on the end of another bad decision on showtime um as if the network were somehow responsible for the fact that he got a draw rather than the win that i think most people felt that he deserved against wilder the first time um yeah. warren conversely said that well he actually really still wanted to get the rematch but it was bob aram and espn who insisted on Fury having an interim fight, and he's very disappointed himself. So, mm. uh, so I don't know. These, uh, these guys for, need to compare their talking points do, a little bit. They do. They do. Um, either way, I have no great inside knowledge on any of this about who will be up next. My assumption would be that somebody like a Bryant Jennings or Joseph Parker would be the most likely opponent for Fury. There's a little bit of history there with uh, Joseph Parker, of course, because he has a win over Huey Fury. Um, and as for Deontay Wilder, Dominic Brazil seems to be the name that keeps uh, keeps cropping up as a possibility for him for May 18th. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I'm hearing as well. And Wilder Brazil, if that's the fight, uh, I know it wasn't the fight we wanted, but that's a fight that you just know it's going to be fun for however long yep. it lasts. We can be sure yep. of that. Yep, exactly. Um, and another bit of quick follow-up news to Monday's pod. Uh, following his defeat to Chris Eubank Jr. on Showtime, James DeGale has announced that he is indeed retiring at age 33 after 10 years as a pro with a record of 25-3-1. He said in a statement, It's hard to admit that I'm not the fighter I once was, but I'm human. And along the way, my injuries have taken a toll, both on mind and body, and these things have contributed to impact my performance in the ring. In other words... He saw what we saw as he struggled throughout the Eubank fight. Uh, there were plenty of tributes from other super middleweights, including Caleb Truax and Andre Ward. Although the response of Carl Frotch when asked what he thought <laughs> was to say, if the two of them had faced off, quote, I'd have smashed him. So there you go. Uh, Eric, how do you see James DeGale's legacy in boxing? Exactly the same as Carl Frotch. I'd have smashed him. <laughs> Um, now, I, I think there's not a lot separating DeGale from another guy who just recently retired and we tried to assess his legacy, and that's George Groves. Uh, these two figure to be somewhat linked going forward. You know, they, they fought in the amateurs, they fought in the pros, they fought a few of the same opponents, they turned pro within weeks of each other, they retired within weeks of each other. DeGale had a fine career. He was never the champ or the number one guy in his division, but he held an alphabet belt for a couple of years. Solid run, popular in England, and made a name for himself in the States, too. 
will go down right in the same category as Groves and Badu Jack and, and super mm-hmm. middleweights of that ilk. Uh, and I'll just say what I say about every one of these guys. I hope he means it and stays retired. If yep. so, he, he got out at the right time. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and lastly, Kieran, uh, you got out of Vermont at the right time. Uh, me- <laughs> mediocre attempt at a segue there, I realized, but, you know. Give me give me points for trying. Uh, you got out and took a trip to New York on Tuesday uh, for a whole lot of media hullabaloo surrounding the big April 13th women's showdown. Clarissa Shields versus Christina Hammer. We'll have several more weeks to explore this matchup. Uh, but do you want to give a little teaser on, on what you were doing with them on Tuesday and what kind of build up to this fight we can expect? Uh, yeah, the um, the launch a uh, press conference took place at the Dream Hotel in downtown New York. And uh, afterwards, I sat down and interviewed uh, Clarissa Shields and Christina Hammer together. Uh, it was pretty lively, pretty feisty. Those two staring at each other and me in the middle. Um, I certainly made sure I had an escape route just in case <laughs> it really kicked off. Uh, we do know that Clarissa Shields has no problem throwing down verbally. Uh, and I was, actually, I was actually pleasantly surprised to see that Christina Hammer can do it too. Uh, she certainly does it with a, with a wry smile. She's very aware, is Christina, of the fact that uh, this is all a good, uh, good game to be played in order to uh, promote... Uh, the fight and uh, Showtime really going big on this. Uh, a two-part all-access show will be part of the build-up to this April 13th fight, and uh, also the video of my interview with both of those uh, will be posting on Showtime social channels, and I think we'll also be able to take some audio for the podcast as well. So we'll be able to put our feet up and do a little bit less work on one of these weeks because <laughs> it's already been done. Yeah, excellent. I look forward to anything that involves you having done work and me not having to do work and me getting product out of it. I'm mostly Clarissa Shields and Christina Hammer doing all the heavy lifting. <laughs> right. The uh, most important. Well, not not quite a Bernard Hopkins situation, I assume, of say one oh, no. word and they take it from there. But I, oh, I no. do I do presume that you didn't have to say too much. No. Uh, it was good. Uh, looking forward to seeing uh, the, the result of that get posted. All right. On Saturday, the fun starts nice and early. You can catch three undercard bouts on the Show Sports YouTube channel and the Showtime Boxing Facebook page beginning at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 3.30 p.m. Pacific. And that will, of course, be followed by Showtime Championship Boxing from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. We'll be back on Monday with all the post-fight analysis, and we are hoping to have a special guest to join us. But until then, thanks as always for listening.